Fourth Estate presents The Christmas Chronicles, a podcast from me, Nigel Slater. December the 23rd, a bit of a pig. I will do anything to avoid a queue. That includes getting up at an ungodly hour, pleading to get something delivered, or in some cases, simply going without. Tomorrow is the holy grail of queues. With that of my local butcher, cheese shop and fishmonger snaking across four or five neighbouring shop fronts. The deli has no orderly queue, just a disorganised scrum. I get up early and go to the special Christmas farmer's market for greens, for which, needless to say, I have to stand in line. Then to the butcher's, no queue to speak of, though busier than usual for a weekday, and then to the cheese shops, one French, one British. Everything will be fine in the fridge till the 25th and I cannot help but feeling a little smug at having got so much done already, leaving me the possibility of actually enjoying Christmas Eve instead of standing looking at someone's back. I return home with a vast piece of pork, a bag of fat, herb-flecked sausages, rushes of fat bacon, a black pudding, stock, smoked salmon, fish for the Christmas Eve supper, three cheeses, a head of celery complete with soil and leaves, and a somewhat impromptu purchase of a goose. I already have a squirrel stash of mineral water, champagne, onions, potatoes, parsnips, oranges, clementines, brandy, pears and passion fruits ripening as I write. Cox's apples, mincemeat, plus all the usual fridge and cupboard stuff, such as parmesan, lemons, olive oil and butter. That leaves only oysters, bread and cream to pick up tomorrow. I should explain the goose. My plan for Christmas lunch is oysters and champagne, followed by a majestic roast leg of Gloucester Old Spot pork and crackling, pork sausages and black pudding, onion gravy and roast potatoes with glossy red cabbage. We will then have Mrs Appleby's Cheshire cheese and an oozing vacher, followed, sometime later, by the Christmas pudding with organic cream or brandy butter. Vegetarians will eat parsnip cakes stuffed with spinach and pine kernels. Not the turkey dinner that has always left me cold, but a sumptuous feast of organic meat and farmhouse cheeses. So far, so glorious. However, I've just discovered that I have to go through the same thing again on Boxing Day. So, unable to face cooking and eating an identical meal for what will be my second Christmas lunch, I would instead offer smoked salmon which keeps in better nick than oysters. Roast goose with juniper sauce and an apple and lemon puree. Roast potatoes and red cabbage, followed by Wigmore cheese and pears. Then, much later, a sharp lemon and passion fruit roulade, which, although rich, has a bite to it that should offset the inevitable richness of the goose. If there is one thing better than Christmas lunch, it's two Christmas lunches. Christmas Day. Oysters and champagne. I don't hold with all the gubbins traditionally served with oysters. Nothing quite takes the salty, iodine tang off an oyster like shallot vinegar, Tabasco sauce and lemon. Okay, I might occasionally use the meanest squeeze of lemon, but as far as bells and whistles go, that's it. I reckon you need six oysters per person, 
but you could get away with four if there's a really big meal following, such as this one. We still have six. And now, a recipe. Roast leg of pork with onion and masala gravy. After removing the cooked roast from the roasting tin, I pour the fat off, then warm the gravy in the tin, stirring in the goodness stuck to the tin as I go. A leg of pork on the bone, three to four kilos in weight, and sea salt. Weigh the pork. You will need to cook it for 25 minutes per 500 grams. Get the oven hot. You want to start the pork at 220 degrees centigrade, gas 7. Check that the butcher has scored the rind. It should have a deep hatching of knife cuts going across rather than with the bone. Each cut should go right down into the fat, but not so far that you get to the flesh beneath. Season thoroughly with salt, rubbing the flakes into the cut sides of the flesh and into the fat. It will help it crackle. If the salt refuses to adhere, then rub a little oil over the meat first. Put the pork into the roasting tin and leave it in the oven to roast for 30 minutes. Then lower the heat to 190C, gas 5, and continue roasting for 25 minutes per 500 grams. You don't really need to baste it. I rarely do, especially if I'm trying to get good crackling. The fat itself will keep the meat succulent. When you think the meat is due to be ready, check its juices by inserting a skewer into the thickest part. They should come out clear or honey-coloured, not pink. Remove the pork from the oven and leave it to rest for a good 20 to 25 minutes so that the juices can settle throughout the meat. Carve into thin slices and serve with the gravy and stuffing. Enough for six or eight, plus lots for eating gold. The gravy. Like curry, trifle and bean soup, this actually seems to improve if made the day before. Onions, three medium. Olive oil, two tablespoons. Plain flour, two tablespoons. Dry masala, two glasses. Stock or water, 750 mils. English mustard powder, a teaspoon. Grain mustard, a tablespoon. Peel the onions, slice them in half, and then into thick segments. Leave them to cook with the olive oil in a heavy-based pan over a low heat, giving them the occasional stir so they do not burn. We want to end up with onions that are utterly soft, golden and translucent, tender enough to squash between finger and thumb. You can expect this to take a good 30 minutes. Stir in the flour and let it cook for a few minutes. Now pour in the masala, and the stock or water, stirring into a thin sauce. Season with salt and black pepper and the mustard powder and leave to simmer gently for a good 20 minutes. Then stir in the grain mustard and continue simmering for a further five. Serve or leave to cool and then reheat as necessary. Cabbage with orange and juniper. A medium onion. Groundnut oil a tablespoon. A small red cabbage weighing about 750 grams, celery stalks two, an apple, the juice of an orange and the juice of a lemon, a shot of white wine vinegar, juniper berries, 12. Peel the onion and slice it finely. 
then let it soften in the oil in a heavy casserole set over medium heat. Shred the cabbage quite finely. The strips need to be about the width of your little finger. Cut the celery thinly. When the onion has softened, turn the heat up a little, then add the celery and cabbage. Stir, core and chop the apple, and add it to the pan. Mix the citrus juices together, then add a dash of vinegar. Crush the juniper berries and add them to the juices. Then, just as the cabbage is starting to wilt, stir the mixture into the casserole. There should be much sizzling and spluttering. Season the cabbage lightly with salt and cover tightly with the lid. Turn down to a simmer and cook for 10 to 15 minutes until the cabbage is tender. Check the seasoning and serve. Enough for six as a side dish. Christmas Day 2 We start with smoked salmon, which I serve with lemon and thin slices of dark, sticky pumpernickel bread. Roast goose, juniper sauce, and apple and lemon puree. I used yesterday's recipe for cabbage with this. A goose, approximately six kilos in weight. The onion gravy, plus 12 juniper berries and two tablespoons of red currant jelly. You're going to cook the goose at 220 degrees C gas 7 for 25 minutes, then at 180 C gas 4 for approximately one and a half hours. Preheat the oven to 220 degrees, gas 7. Pull the excess fat from inside the bird. It will come out in big lumps. Prick the bird all over with a fork. Salt it inside and out, but no pepper. Then wrap aluminium foil over the legs, which have a tendency to dry out. Put the bird breast-side down in a roasting tin and roast for 25 minutes. Then turn the oven down to 180 C gas 4. Leave the bird to roast for approximately one and a half to two hours, taking it out halfway through cooking to tip off the fat that has accumulated in the tin. Remove the foil from its legs and turn the bird breast-side up. This is also when I add parboiled potatoes to the pan. I do this all with great care, as the fat is copious and blisteringly hot. To check the bird is cooked, pierce the thighs with a skewer. If the juices that run out are clear, then the bird is ready. Leave to rest for ten minutes before carving, slicing the meat onto warm plates. Enough for five to six. The juniper sauce. My goose gravy is the onion gravy, but with 12 lightly crushed juniper berries added with the stock and two tablespoons of red currant jelly stirred in at the end five minutes or so before serving. Once the goose has been removed to your carving board, I carefully pour off all the fat from the tin and pour the sauce into the roasting pan, bubble, scrape the goodness from the bottom into the sauce with a spatula and stir. The apple and lemon puree. At any point during the cooking of the goose, peel, core and chop five dessert apples or three bramleys and let them cook over a moderate heat with a whole chopped lemon and its juice and a dessert spoonful of sugar. Once they fall into a puree, sweeten to taste and either sieve, always briefly in a blender. Keep warm, covered with foil or reheat just before serving. Roast Potatoes there have to be roast potatoes, and I find it easier to peel and parboil them while the goose is cooking 
then tip them into the roasting tin when I take it out of the oven to pour off the gravy and turn the bird over. Passion Fruit Roulade I don't serve this directly after the cheese course when it would be too much of a good thing, but about an hour or so later. Large eggs, six. Caster sugar, a hundred grams. Lemons, two. Plain flour, two heaped tablespoons. And some icing sugar for dusting. For the filling, lemon or orange curd, 350 grams. Double or whipping cream, 280 to 300 mils. Passion fruits, ripe and wrinkled, 12. Caster sugar to finish. You will need a baking tray measuring approximately 36 by 30 centimetres with shallow sides. It doesn't matter if it's just a few centimetres out either way. Set the oven at 200C gas 6. Line the baking tray with a piece of baking parchment, making sure it comes up the sides. Separate the eggs, putting the yolks into a food mixer and the whites into a bowl large enough in which to beat them. Add the sugar to the yolks and whisk until thick, pale and creamy. Grate the zest from both the lemons, taking care not to include the bitter white pith underneath, and squeeze the juice of one of them. Beat the egg whites until they're thick and capable of standing in a soft peak. Then fold the juice and zest into the egg yolk and sugar mixture, followed by the sifted flour and then the egg whites. Add the egg whites slowly, firmly but gently, so the air is not knocked out of them as you mix them in. It's crucial not to overmix. Scoop the mixture into the lined baking tin, smoothing it gently out to the edges. Bake for about 10 minutes until the top is very lightly coloured and it feels softly set. Let it cool for a few minutes. Put a piece of greaseproof paper on a work surface. Cover lightly with caster sugar, then turn the roulade out onto it. The cake should be crust side down. I find this easiest to do if you're fairly forthright about it, just tipping the roulade out of its tin with one swift movement. Carefully peel away the paper and cover the roulade with a clean, moist tea towel. It'll be fine like this for an hour or two. I've even left them like this overnight and they've come to no harm. When you're ready to roll the cake, remove the towel and spread the lemon or orange curd over the surface. Then whip the cream until it will stand in soft peaks and spread it over the curd. Cut eight of the passion fruits in half and spread the juice and seeds over the cream. Now take one short end of the greaseproof paper and use it to help you roll up the roulade. If the surface cracks, then all to the good. Dust with icing sugar and cut into thick slices with the remaining passion fruit juice and the seeds squeezed over each slice. Enough for ten. Boxing Day, the best day of the year. I sometimes put in a turkey breast to roast late on Christmas Day for the Boxing Day sandwiches, which I eat with crisp bacon, spicy chutney and shredded raw vegetables. This year, there is no need, there being cold roast pork and goose, both of which make cracking sandwiches if you remember to put enough salt on them. This year, there are cries for something hot too, so I end the festivities with a sandwich and a pile of rustling, salty fritters. 
I add bacon to my Boxing Day sandwich. Green streaky by choice. Crisply fried and present in only slightly smaller quantities than the turkey itself. Chutney, an essential rather than a luxury, could be homemade, but it's more than likely to be one of the eight jars that will no doubt have turned up under the tree. I vote for a recipe hot enough to clear the sinuses, a pickle that blows away the lethargy that goes hand in hand with yuletide eating. Then, lastly, something crunchy, such as sticks of raw carrot or pickled cabbage, or even slices shaved from a crisp apple. Sometimes I toast the bread, sometimes I don't. But if I do, then I do it lightly, so the bread is still softly yielding. Butter or mayonnaise is a no-no, unless you forfeit the chutney. That's my sandwich, and it doesn't have to be goose or pork, or even turkey. The stripped meat from duck, chicken, pheasant or partridge will do too, as will thinly sliced roast pork or beef, in which case I will attempt to unscrew the lid from the pickled walnuts or slather over a spoonful of tomato chutney. The rule with any meat sandwich is to have lashings of meat, but sliced as thinly as you can. Few things are less digestible than cold meat cut too thick. If beef is what we have, then I sometimes make a mustardy dressing to drizzle over the slices of meat and salad leaves. Olive oil, Dijon mustard, sherry vinegar, grated parmesan, salt, pepper. Watercress is by far the most suitable leaf here, but keeping it in good nick till Boxing Day is the hardest part. I keep mine in the coldest part of the fridge, upside down, in a bowl of ice cubes and water. You can chuck the horseradish sauce. Let me tell you that the best seasoning for a cold, rare beef sandwich is wasabi mayonnaise. You need quite a bland mayo for this. Olive oil is intrusive here, so the bought stuff is fine. Just stir in as much fiery green wasabi paste as you dare, tasting as you go. Remember that your taste buds will become attuned to the increasing heat, so offer the final tasting bit to anyone who passes. When it has enough of a kick to be of interest, add a squeeze more, then spread it thinly over the beef rather than the bread. And now, a recipe. Cheese bubble and squeak. Equal quantities by volume of boiled potatoes and greens. A handful or two of crumbled cheese. A little chopped thyme. Fat or oil for frying. The potatoes will need mashing, but a rough mash is perfectly appropriate here. If you're using cooked greens, they must be lightly cooked and still with a bit of vigour. If not, cook fresh sprouts, cabbage or broccoli, then drain and roughly chop them. Quantities can be imprecise, but half and half works well. Fold the greens into the mashed potato with the cheese, some salt, black pepper and a little chopped thyme if you have some. Squash the mixture together with your hands to form thick patties that will fit into the palm of your hand with a little flour if you're getting sticky. Then fry them in hot, shallow fat or oil till they're crisp on both sides. The best of these I've ever made involved using a wedge of unexciting supermarket brie that melted delectably into the potato cakes, putting the cheese successfully out of its cling-filmed misery. Now is also the time to open those jars of pickles, preserves and tracklements you got in your stocking. Otherwise, they will only work their way to the back of the cupboard 
and sleep quietly past their sell-by date. My rule of thumb with the more unusual jars, such as pickled samphire, carrot or onion relish, or perhaps someone's homemade piccalilli, is to open them and scatter them around the table to accompany a platter of hot sausages and mash. Even the bizarre seem to find a fan. It is the most successful way I know to rid myself of yet another jar of someone's pickle harvest. I've mentioned elsewhere my idea of warming yesterday's cold Christmas pudding in a frying pan in a little butter. I stir the disintegrating slices around in a frying pan with some melted butter till they're as hot as I can get them without the risk of burning, then pour over a swoosh of cream. It's not a bad way to see off the celebrations. Christmas Chronicles Notes, Stories and 100 Essential Recipes for Midwinter is available now in hardback, audio and ebook, and published by Fourth Estate. Join me again in our next chapter as we delve further into the season and I share some more recipes and wintered stories.